What is up? I am Evan Lovett, and welcome to my new podcast, In a Minute with Evan Lovett. This is an Odyssey original brought to you by my company, In a Minute Media, coming to you live from my studio in the heart of my favorite city in the world, Los Angeles, California. Let's get into it. Yo, we are here in I Am Studios, Los Angeles. Welcome to episode number five. Thank you to everybody that has been listening, and I'm going to jump right into the rundown of this week's episode. First off, we're going to reflect on episode number four very quickly. This was a special and emotional episode with my first special guests, so I got to recap that. Then we're going to get into the mailbag, which is kind of becoming everybody's favorite segment. It's fun. It's often funny. So we'll cover that. Then on the what I learned this week segment, I'm going to get into an invention that was at the origin of Los Angeles as a city. And it's something that we take for granted that changed the trajectory, not just of Los Angeles or the United States, but the entire world. Now, this is a fun one. Then on the therapy session, I'm going to get into this personal story about something unique that happened to me that never happened to me before, and I'm very curious if anybody else has ever experienced this. It really left me befuddled, so I'm going to need your feedback on this one. Then, of course, we're going to finish with, if you're going to do one thing in LA this weekend, do this. All right, let's get into it. So... I want to briefly touch upon episode number four. This one took a ton of emotion and effort really on my part, to be honest with you. If you didn't listen, or even if you did, I had my parents on, and that was very, very important to me. They were my first guests ever on this podcast. Now, how did that happen, being that they passed away in 2017 and 2019, respectively? I'm a bit of a pack rat slash obsessive compulsive. So I saved voicemails from each parent. Now it wasn't conscious at the time. Oh, my parents are going to die because my dad passed away unexpectedly. With my mom, it might've been a little, little conscious, but with my dad, it was just coincidental. And I happened to save him. And here's what's interesting is I'm not the person that goes back and plays messages like this. I am very sentimental, very nostalgic, And as my wife will attest, with that nostalgia and sentimentalism, I don't like sit there and look through old notes and letters and play old voicemails. In fact, I had not heard these voicemails. I had not consciously listened to them. So it was a big deal for me um, to take that step. I know how special they are, but I hadn't even heard them. And I was surprised to hear that. So... I discussed with my wife and some people close to me beforehand, but I felt it was so important to have my parents' legacy, my, my parents' legacy enshrined permanently, or at least however long as this podcast is going to exist in whatever archive format. I mean, with with the AI, Chat GPT, and Terminator Two uh, really coming to reality, who knows how long it's going to exist? But it was important for me to at least have an archive of it. Since my parents really are the inspiration for everything that I do, from LA in a minute to in a minute to Evan Love It to honestly raising my son and just living my day to day basis. And now, listen, I'm not somebody that listens to my own work. I mean, yes, I, I'm that guy, okay? I'm 
told that Johnny Depp doesn't watch his own movies. I am not comparing myself to Johnny Depp. I aspire to his level of genius. Fear Loathing Las Vegas was one of the seminal performances in my own life's um, body of work that I'd ever witnessed. But the point is, I hear he doesn't watch his movies. And there's always been a general manager for the A's, Billy Bean, that doesn't watch the A's games. He drives around the stadium because he's so nervous to... Uh, to not watch the players that he acquired for the team. And that's kind of the sphere that I reside in. I will edit. I will change. I will update. I do obviously look at it on the back end as I'm forming a LA in a minute video or listen to the podcast as it's coming together. But once that hits the airwaves, I can't watch. I just get too nervous, but I did listen to episode number four, at least that segment, because it was that important to me. I had to reflect on that. Because that was a ton to deal with. So, thank you for listening to that if you did. And thank you to everybody who wrote in with the great touching um, messages, the DMs. That was something that really, really motivated me. And it keeps to it keeps motivating me. People are like, I lost my parents. Or I do have these voicemails. You know, I listen to them every day. Or I, I never wanted to listen to them. It was really cool. So, thank you for sharing those experiences. Please send me the DMs. You know I am all about responding. I love it. I love receiving every DM. So thank you to everybody who reaches out with any comment, any anything about episode four or anything. So now, today, we have a good, funny mailbag. And let's jump on this thing because it's cool. So listen, comment number one from my man Tim in Atwater Village. Try not to make the tequila sound good unless it's a sponsor next time. Woo, Tim, that's hard because you know I like that tequila. And I try not to be an alcoholic. But look, I do have one glass here to kind of calm the nerves. But I'll tell you what, I will not name the brand. Does anybody know George Clooney? So maybe we could get a Casamigo spot. Anybody know any, you know, small batch tequilas? Let's do it. All right, next comment. I'm sorry, I don't have this attributed. I did a screenshot of it, and I apologize. Send me a DM if this was your comment. I will shout you on the next episode, but here's how it goes. I love your episode 03, man. Hey, have you ever thought of adding video to your podcast? On Spotify, podcasters add their video feed with the audio. It would be awesome to see you while you talk, bro. I'll send you a sample, asterisk, example. Okay, Yes, this is definitely in the works. This will not be in the immediate future, but I will tell you this. We have the equipment, we have the personnel, we have the know-how. And as you know, my wife is an interior designer. So what I want to wait and do is have my wife do a little makeover here in IM Studios. And once that gets done, we will start the simulcast. Probably episode 10, 20, God willing, that is. Who knows, but this is in the works. And I will say, I do shoot some video on iPhone just like I shoot the LA in a Minute episodes. So I'll drop a little snippet every now and then on the feed. So stay tuned. And honestly, if you sent that DM, thank you. I, I You know I love it. Reach out. Send me back. I'll give you the shout. Okay, next comment in the mailbag from Paul in Lake Forest. Hey, Evan. I just want to say I've enjoyed your post from what seems like the very beginning and glad your podcast is up. I listen every Friday and just finished episode four. Thank you for having your parents as guests. I lost my dad in 2020 and I too have saved his last voicemails to me as well as his contact on my favorites list. 
I haven't listened to them yet, but after this episode, I think I will. Thanks again. Woo! Paul, now that's a good one. That was, I'm not going to say what I hoped would happen from me playing my parents' voicemails, because to be honest, that was for me, but after the fact, after I listened, I'm like, man, that would be neat if there are other people who relate to that and could have that. So, you know, it'd be interesting, Paul, if I may, it'd be very fascinating to have somebody like you on the show to talk more about it. And now this is a question for listeners. Would you be willing to have me have guests, not celebrity guests per se? And by the way, we do have some nice guests in the pipeline. I just banked a, a nice interview this week. Somebody really fun, but this would be to supplement those types of guests, like shared personal experiences like this. I'm incredibly interested in hearing these voicemails, for instance, but let me know, would this be something you'd be willing to listen to? Paul, either way, I know you and I talked after this fact. I'm glad you did that, man. Um, it was awesome. And that was a really good message. So thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, now let's get into what I learned this week. This one is pretty sweet. I mean, you want to talk about a foundational discovery invention? This is this is what we're talking about. So check this out. So I'm driving down to the Van Nuys Courthouse area. No, I'm not in trouble. Have been previously, but, but currently I'm all right. But I'm heading down for an LA in a Minute episode. And I'm taking a side street, right? And I see this building, kind of not indescript, probably the size of two homes in a little industrial type district. And it says Union Ice with a logo that looked familiar, but like vaguely familiar. I'm like, hmm. And then it says, blah, 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 since 1882. Now, I've told you in Los Angeles, if something was open since 1982, you raise an eyebrow. 1882 was ancient, okay? So I'm saying the, the reason I love this is because in Los Angeles, there's history. You just need to look. So I see this 1882, pull over, do some, do some research. So as I'm doing the research, I'm kind of thinking like, was there ice in 1882? Um, what were the businesses doing? What were the companies in the ice business doing? How were they, um, you know, generating ice? So I'm doing this research. And first thing I noticed is that freezers were not commonplace. Well, the, uh, sorry, ice makers were not commonplace in the United States until the 1950s. In fact, I think the first one was released commercially in 1953. Refrigerators weren't even commonplace until the 1930s and 1940s. So we're going back to 1880. 1882, and as I'm digging and digging, I'm finding more and more interesting nuggets. And one of those is that this Union Ice Company was instrumental, not only in the ice industry, but bringing ice to Los Angeles and also invented the first refrigerated rail cart, which is significant because agriculture was the main beneficiary of the rail cart. And agriculture in the 1870s, 1880s was how Los Angeles first began to thrive was by shipping via refrigerated rail cart, these wonderful products and all this produce and William Wolfskill's first cart full of oranges that he grew in downtown Los Angeles was on these refrigerated rail carts, which Union Ice had made. And I'm kind of like, wow, there's so many 
different directions I can go on this story. But I'm still trying to wrap my head around this ice concept in 1882. So it turns out it was actually in 1868 that the company started in Northern California and they were harvesting ice. It was a crop. This was valuable. Like think about this before refrigeration, before freezers, you know, how do you cool things down? How do you store things? What do you put in your drink to make it cold? And I saw these images of these huge hunks of ice in barrels with spigots on the bottom and kids around the neighborhood be crowded around, like trying to get some cold water. Ice was a big deal and it was a cash crop and Union Ice was at the forefront of that. They'd go up to the Sierras and these lakes, the beautiful, beautiful Sierra Mountains and these lakes and streams that had frozen over, they would harvest the ice, chisel out these huge blocks and put them on wagons, horse wagons, get them out of there. And then they would ship them to the cities such as Los Angeles. How do you transport ice without refrigeration? Because again, the refrigerated rail cart still hadn't been invented by Union Ice for another 20 years. So they would store the ice in straw and blankets and you'd have leakage of course and melting but enough of the ice would survive the journey that you could get it down to these cities and that became a major industry and union ice sitting here in this nondescript building in 2023 was at the forefront of that and i thought that was really interesting just kind of a microcosm of the history of ice right here in los angeles and it's funny because I looked into how does Union Ice, you know, survive today? You know, they're not at the, the ice maker game, but it's the bags of party ice. So I thought that was kind of funny that that's one of their main revenue sources right now. And this really connected with me because my wife and I are huge on cold beverages, huge on ice water. She carries around those metal water bottles. She fills it to the top with ice. And then we put, you know, the, the filtered water in there. And then we take it about our day. My wife has one. I have one. My son has one. We all use that ice. And we swore that we'd have a, a mechanical or an automatic ice maker because we didn't have one in our first home. And then now we move in here. We get this nice fridge with an ice maker. We're so excited. And then after about a month, the ice maker breaks. And since then, we just use the trays, silicone, plastic, whatever. Um, but it's funny because ice is very important to us. And I thought that little history was important. And that's what I learned this week. Now we're going to get into the therapy session. This one was really unique for me because I had a breakup. No, not with my wife, with a friend. Something that never happened to me before. And this was like a formal breakup. I never thought I would have a breakup with a friend, but we had a phone call, one-on-one -on -one conversation. And I got to say, it seemed like, from his end that it was a premeditated breakup. And I have to say, I'm not sure my wife would approve of telling me this story. So babe, I'm sorry, but this is my therapy session. And look, this was a close family friend. I love the dude. We got the kids together a few times a year. He's always cool. He's a smart, funny, nice guy. I consider him a good friend. We've been friends for about 10 years, not best friends, but we'd hang out. We played basketball together. We played tennis together. And most recently, we were in communication 
throughout most of last year daily. Now, granted, it was sending each other our Wordle results. And yes, I'm a Wordle nerd. I was. I stopped playing this year because it was honestly preoccupying me too much. But I was a Wordle guy, and so was he. So we'd, we'd exchange techniques and results back and forth. So we, we are in touch. This is a friendship. And now look, I'm somebody that has always been a little bit over-communicative and has been accused of collecting friends. But to me, especially as an only child, friends are my siblings. And though now most of my communication is via text, I mean, like I don't reach out that much verbally to shoot the shit unless it's somebody's birthday, which I always try to call verbally. I do stay in touch and I try to communicate. So back to this friend. In retrospect, I noticed that he started acting strange. And this is via text. About four months ago, when he would stop giving commentary on our Wordle scores. Now, I know that sounds weird, but when you know somebody, you know them, right? And there was always like, oh man, what'd you guess or whatever. But it was just score for score. We were going back and forth. And I didn't think about it, but I noticed it. So flash forward to about a month ago, I wanted to hang out. Wanted to have this dude's family over. It had been a while and we hadn't talked in a while. So I texted him, no response call him a couple days later, picks up. He's like, Hey, I'm busy. I'll call you later. I wait a week. No call. Text him again. And he replies with busy with my brother, just a cold text, right? And this is over a couple weeks now. And I know something is up at this point. So this is a responsive dude. Something had clearly shifted in the dynamic and red flags were starting to pop up, right? I call him again another week later. No response, straight to voicemail. And then I'm literally walking into In-N-Out a couple Fridays ago. And yes, I go inside In-N-Out because it's quicker than waiting in that long ass drive through line. But as I'm walking in, I get this call and I pick it up. I'm excited. Dude, what's up, my man? And his tone was serious. I could just tell. You know your friends. We talk about some mundane bullshit for like the first minute. Like how's the family and stuff. But again, I could just tell with his tone. So I'm impatient. I'm like, dude, what's up? You're too busy to call your friend. Why are you so busy now? And he just dove into it. Friend? He says. I said, yeah, man. He says, is that what we are? <gasps> Whew. And he continues, he's like, that's news to me. Doesn't feel like it. Just seems like there's more to a friendship than whatever this is. And now I'm seriously, seriously gobsmacked. I had never had this conversation with anybody outside of my wife, maybe girlfriends or somebody or dating in college or somebody, something, but I really hadn't had that kind of relationship talk with somebody I consider a friend. And maybe that's, that's me. Maybe I'm not digging in too deep and, and it's important. And it is important. You know what I mean? It's good for people to express their feelings. So on a, on one hand, I'm just kind of like, all right, that, l- let's hear this out. And I am concerned. I like this guy, I like his family. I want our families to be friends. He says, it just doesn't feel like a two way street. 
And now I'm putting them on speaker outside of this in and out because I want to run down our text history. It goes back years, you know what I mean? But all I'm checking, I'm like, maybe I have been ignoring them. I've been, I've been on them recently. We talked about Wordle. Maybe I hadn't reached out uh, about any hangouts or anything. And that, that could be, that, that's reasonable. But I look and I'm going back now to 2021, 2020. I'm like, you know what? Every few months, one of us reaches out, sometimes me, sometimes him. And it seems like it had been pretty much the same cadence, the same pace. So I'm like, dude, tell me, like, I'm looking right now, like there's, there's a call log, there's a text history, like what's not this two way street? I'm legit concerned. And then he says, remember when we ran into your buddy at the park? I'm like, yeah, I remember. I didn't really remember, but he gets into this story and then it comes rushing back. So here's what happened in the park. I was at the park with my son. We were playing some, I think it was after a soccer game. My son plays soccer also, soccer match. And we had ran into one of my friends slash a dad from the Little League. And I was just shooting the shit with that guy. And then the current friend in the story, my family friend, just happens to be at the park. He lives right there. So he's walking up. And now like George Costanza and Seinfeld, my worlds are colliding, right? So I'm, I'm trying to do intros. I'm like, hey, this is, uh, you know, my, my buddy Andy. He's also a coach in the Little League. Our sons are friends. And then when I introduce the family friend, I say this. I say, hey, Andy, this is my wife's cousin's husband who also lives right near the park. And we're good friends. Right. And I say it like that. And then we just go on. We say bye. Everybody leaves. But now on the phone in this breakup conversation, he's like, that's what I am to you. Like your wife's cousins, this and this and this. And I get it. Right. Because I'm sensitive, too. And I'm like, oh, shit. Like I basically tacked on friend at the end. But this is the truth. I was setting the scene and I'm, I'm giving context. And I tend to try to do that. And I give him the example. This is the truth. My brother-in-law, I met my current brother-in-law in college at UCLA in 1996. And we've been friends ever since. He didn't meet my wife's sister for about another 10 years. They ended up marrying and now he's my brother-in-law. And I'm explaining this as I'm explaining it to you. I'm saying, and I still to this day introduce him to as my brother-in-law. Because that's what he, even though he was my friend way earlier and for way longer, but that to me gives the foundation and the context. So kudos to him. He says, hey, you know, maybe that shows the true priority of where people are in your life. And he's kind of going, he's very measured. He's a really, really smart guy, right? And these words are kind of hurting me where I'm thinking, I'm, all, I'm a little confused because he is my friend, but that is how I think of him and introduce him. So in my head, I'm kind of like, dude, I'm going to need to like apologize to a friend as if it's my wife. And this, I, I, I just had never been in this situation before. And I'm, I'm curious, has anybody else, am I the, the weird one that's never really had these conversations? But it was clear like the damage had been done. And I'm trying at this point. I'm like, look, man, I get it. You know, I'll be more conscious of this. And I'm I'm trying to say the right things. Like I really am, again, as I would say to my wife. And, and I am. I want to salvage this relationship. It's valuable to me. And I could just tell it wasn't hitting. It wasn't resonating with them. The tone was still cold. 
there was no some acceptance of the apology. Maybe I wasn't apologizing well enough. And I just felt, I was like digging, digging, digging. And so I'm like, is that it? That can't be it. Like, you know, like we're not having troubles in the friendship because of that one incident. We're not going to throw away 10 years because of that. I understand that that could be hurtful. And I, I understand that, but let's, let's work on that. And then he says to me, he's like, well, there was also the skateboard incident. (laughs) Shit. There it is. So in Christmas of 2021, my son wanted a skateboard. He was seven at the time. And he kind of looks like a skater kid. I was like, oh, this fits the image. Let's get him a dope skateboard. So I get him this good skateboard. Awesome wooden thing, like nice quality, 150 bucks. Great Christmas present. Yes, I'm Jewish, but we celebrate both. We try to celebrate everything. I give him this awesome uh, skateboard. And now going back to the summer of 2022, look, kids, seven, eight years old, they lose interest in stuff. My son hadn't been skating much, but I always had the, you know, he's going to get back to it. And he's still with a couple of his friends would break it out every now and then. But the friend who was in the process of breaking up with me at the time, we're on good terms. His daughter had gotten into skateboarding and she wanted to borrow the skateboard. And my wife gives it to his wife. Hey, as, as your daughter can borrow the skateboard. And my wife, very honest, ironclad memory. I remember her telling me, she's like, hey, let them borrow the skateboard. You know, the daughter's getting into it, blah, blah, blah. And I remember that borrow, of course. Why am I going to give away? Why, my wife's not going to give away, you know, a Christmas present. Sure, a Christmas present from five years ago, fine. Kid doesn't use it. But from the six months ago, not a giveaway situation. Sure enough, a couple weeks later, my son is like, hey, where's my skateboard? I want to go skateboarding. I'm like, dang it. I mean, it was good because I'm happy that he wants to use it. So I send a group text to my buddy, his wife, my wife. Hey, guys, if your daughter's done uh, using the skateboard, can we have it back? No response. Send another text a few days later. Hey, guys, uh, you know, my son kind of wants to go skateboarding. I'm excited for him to use it. You guys bring that skateboard back. No response. Then I follow up with, and don't forget the pads. Okay, this is going to come into play. You got a skateboard, you got a helmet, you got pads, especially nowadays. I think it's the law. If not, it's just common sense for a kid who's going to fall. And then a few days later, and I remember this, his wife shows up in my house and she's talkative. She's so sweet. She's smart. Like we, we all have such great chemistry. That's why there's like a huge like shame in this on my end. And I answer the door. I'm like, hey. And she's like, here's your skateboard. And like, kind of like just gives it to me and like turns back around and like leaves. I was like, okay, like, thanks. And truthfully, I was happy to have the skateboard back. I knew it was weird because she'll usually stay and talk, but she didn't. And people could be busy. But I, I just felt, you feel that emotion. But also no pads. So I sent another text. I'm like, hey, thanks for the skateboard. Can you guys bring back the pads also? Now... I can be pretty annoying and pretty aggressive about that stuff. And that was my, my buddy calls me snarky. I guess the guess that might be a little snarky, but I was just trying to get the pads. Turns out we never let them borrow the pads. My wife's like, why do you keep texting about the pads? They're in our son's closet. So I could see how that could be annoying. But again, I don't feel like that's an incident. So flash forward the conversation, the breakup conversation, with my buddy, I'm like, what do you mean the skateboard incident? We let your daughter borrow a skateboard. He says to me, never in my life. Have I had a friend let me, have I never, sorry, never in my life 
have I had a friend give me something and then ask for it back? And I was like, give you something? What do you mean? We let your daughter borrow the skateboard. And he says, that wasn't my understanding. He's like, that was, you You gifted it and then you asked for it back. And then now I need to explain to my daughter that something that was given to her is getting taken away. I mean, I just felt that that was really bad form. And then you're like, the pads, the pads, what pads? We never had any pads. And I'm like, shit, I wasn't there. I didn't hear the verbiage my wife used. Again, she is ironclad. I know her. She said borrow. She wouldn't have given away a Christmas gift that was that recent. But somehow there was a miscommunication. And by my follow-up just hammering and hammering the situation, yeah, I can see that being annoying and I could see him being pissed off. And if that was his interpretation, I mean, is that enough to end the friendship? I don't know, but I can see that checking a box of like, yo, this dude's a little out of his gourd. Like maybe I shouldn't be as close to him as I am, but that wasn't the case. So on this conversation now, it's in and out. I'm trying to tell him like, dude, that wasn't a, a gift. We were borrowing him. You know, my wife said borrow, but now it's like that. He said, she said that his mind's already made up. His decision's already been made for the, the friend at the park incident. Now this and I didn't want to spend too much time in this friendship reconciliation slash breakup conversation trying to go over these details because the, the greater point here was a formal breakup, which seemingly had already been decided unilaterally by my now ex-buddy. And I'm just kind of thinking like, man, this is all going through my head. The, the skateboard, the borrowing, the park incident, and I'm like, wow, like this is a relationship. Their friendships are indeed relationships, some of the most important relationships. But is this worth getting broken up with? Would I have done this? And this is kind of, you know, I'm having this conversation. I, I need you to tell me, maybe, am I in the wrong? Should I have had a better understanding both at the time, during the conversation, in this aftermath? Has anybody been broken up with by a friend because that's exactly what this conversation was and again this is i'm emotional i'm an only child this is really a big deal for me personally and now it becomes an issue for my family because does my wife lose a friend over this do my kids lose friends over this i'm assuming so and like how does it get rectified so i end that conversation i'm like you know i just laid out dude i want us to resume this friendship. Our family's a friend. We've been friends for so long. And he's like, I don't know, man. I don't know. And, and again, it's just, I'm hoping for like, all right, you know, give me some space to breathe. We'll figure this thing out. But he's really doubling down. Like, you know, I need to see more effort out of you. I need to see that this is really a valuable friendship for you. And now I have this obligation of like, I'm going to need to be putting in this work. And in addition to maintaining the, the relationship with my wife and my job and my podcast and my um, LA in a minute and my, my business partners, all this stuff. Now I need to work on this relationship. And man, it was a lot to deal with and it really felt like a breakup. So I just want to know, has anybody else experienced that? Can you relate? <sighs> Should I just let it go? I mean, please, please tell me. I mean, this is the therapy that I need. Now, one thing to do in Los Angeles this weekend. Ooh, 
It is going to be beautiful. We got the time change in effect. Spring ahead, everybody. Enjoy the day. Enjoy this post-rainy season, Los Angeles. Get up to Griffith Park. And specifically, go and park at the merry-go-round. Walk about five minutes to the old abandoned zoo. This was sweet. I had no idea this existed. At Griffith Park, there's an abandoned zoo that dates back to the 1880s when it was an ostrich farm. And by the way, ostrich feathers used to be part of uh, fashion in that era. Obviously went out of style. But in 1912, it became a zoo. Camels, elephants, you name it. It was going to be an animal theme park. It had 2 million visitors per year. But it closed in 1966. And it is dope because now it's got all kinds of graffiti and caves and cages that you can walk in and out in Griffith Park. It's LA's Central Park and it's awesome and it's a fun experience. Go Instagram that shit. Go take pictures. Go explore. It's fun. It's it's not that big because remember back then animals were treated differently and like they were in these tiny cages and that sucks and I'm glad they they've like evolved since then but it is cool. This abandoned zoo and by the way Griffith Park is named after Griffith J. Griffith. That's right. That was his real name. You can look it up. And uh, he also shot his wife in the face and only served 18 months in jail. So it was a different time back then. Okay, just just remember that when you're in Griffith Park. I mean, the man donated all that land and thank you for that. But man, small price to pay. Terrible act. And I guess that's why they waited till after he was dead to build the Griffith Observatory, even though that was like in his bequeathment uh, to the city of Los Angeles. But man, a lot of history there. Griffith Park, check out that abandoned zoo. Really cool place to be. Really fun. A lot of good pictures. Take the kids. Okay, that was episode number five. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you, everybody, who has been supporting episodes one through four, whether you've been there since number one or this is your latest. I appreciate you. We are building. We're continuing to grow, continuing to chart. It's awesome. It is fun. Trying to get better. Hit me in the DMs. Let me know anything funny. Let me know any comments and let me know what you learned. This has been In a Minute with Evan Lovett, episode number five. All right, y'all. It's been a minute. 